is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Since this is a podcast hosted by two young adults with another young adult as our guest, there is a possibility of some adult language. So if there are young listeners around, be sure to pop in your headphones. If you've been listening to Beyond the Studio uh, these last few weeks and you like what you hear, we would be so appreciative if you left us a review in iTunes. This is a way to help us broaden the audience and reach even more listeners. So we would so, so appreciate it if you like what you hear, if you'd let us know what you think. We wanted to extend a huge thank you to The Dragon Tony, Christina Hoover, Chasing Daylight, and Cats and Scholars for your excellent reviews on iTunes. It was so wonderful to hear your thoughts, and I know it will definitely be helpful for future listeners to find our show and to really be able to connect with their practice and to become the best artists and entrepreneurs they possibly can be. So if you want to leave a review, you may hear your name on the next episode. So on today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we're talking with Michelle Gomez. Michelle and I go way back. We first met in Baltimore, where we both lived for a number of years uh, and went to undergrad together. And not only is Michelle an incredibly talented artist, a background in fine arts herself, but she has this unique ability to connect with absolutely anyone. And this and also her amazing energy that she brings, I think, makes her this bridge between people and I think is what has made her so well suited to the work that she's done since undergrad as a curator, a community organizer, an art consultant, an event planner. And recently she's also started her own business, Creative Unions, which I definitely want to dive into later. Those are just a couple of the reasons that we're really excited to talk to Michelle today for how unique and and diverse her own career path has been so far. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you both for having me. This is an honor. Absolutely. Well, we're happy to have you. (laughs) Can you just give us a little more background into you, your life, where you grew up, and how you first got into art, or just where that creative spark came from? Okay, wow. So how do I put basically my whole life in a nutshell? I'm from Miami, born and raised here. I went to a really special arts high school called New World School of the Arts that pretty much changed my life. I've been in the arts for as long as I could remember. I was always just doing my own thing painting when I was really young and now that I look back I was always an entrepreneur since I was like eight years old I had my own mailing list and I would sell my paintings yeah I had my um (laughs) my email was michigomatawol.com which is still the same name I use for (laughs) other outlets (laughs) that is so good And I used to like make my own flyers on, you know, Microsoft Word and print them out and invite my mom's friends to art festivals I'd participate in and sell my work in and just like raise money for, you know, high school trips to Europe to paint. Wow. Just, you know. Yeah, so I've always I've always loved the social aspect of the art world, um, which is mm-hmm. connecting with others and the administrative side and the event planning side. And then, um, like Nicole mentioned, I met Nicole at the Maryland Institute College of Art where I was getting my BFA in general fine arts. 
And I found myself just out of the studio more often than others. I was wanting to do more studio visits with other students and classmates and wanting to organize events. Decided uh, to get my master's in fine arts um, and curatorial practice at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And that's where my life and my arts career took a huge turn because I became interested in in more community-focused curatorial practice and Mm -hmm. democratizing the curatorial practice because curators are seen as these single authorities in these big institutions that are sometimes scary and inaccessible and boring to people like my family or my sister or my nephews. Yeah. So I focused on methods of curatorial practice that involved collaborating with communities, specifically communities of color in Baltimore. So I was very much in the activist world in the nonprofit arts industry. I experienced many challenges in that world and I decided, you know, it's time for me to think about the realities of hashtag adulting, right? (laughs) Um, How can we survive? How can I survive as this independent Latina woman who was raised by a family of strong, independent women, my sister and my mother. And uh, I decided to move back to my hometown to bring my skills here and start a new chapter. Like any other entrepreneur, I had to figure out, okay, what can I do next without looking too much into the past and kind of dreading on it and and thinking, you know, what if I did this or regretting it or questioning Mm -hmm. the decisions I made because it was so hard being out of school and, you know, having doors close on you. So I, yeah, (laughs) we all, we've all been there. And I think that's why you all started this podcast is to bring together Mm -hmm. artists and creatives to talk about how they got out of that rut and how they're living their life. (laughs) Preach. (laughs) Preach. (laughs) So um, it literally, you know, turned out to be like, this. I was taking a lot of beach days when I was fun employed. Love and, it. <laughs> and um, you know, the beach is a very healing place for me. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue, I just thought, F it. Why not see weddings as art exhibitions? That's and such a great idea. Yeah. I was like, how come no one has done this before? And if you're wondering how that came about, that idea, I mean, yeah, it came, of, it came out of the blue, but it also came out of conversations that were in the back burner of my subconscious from the past. You know, I've always been very much interested in romance and love and relationships. I've always been interested in matchmaking. I love love. And I realized that I needed more love in my life, especially after coming out of a world where, you know, sometimes being an activist makes you bitter. Mm -hmm. And we could achieve similar goals in different ways with more joy. Mm -hmm. My partner, Anthony Summers, my heart, (laughs) he... Him and I were talking, you know, if we were to have a wedding, what would that look like? And he kept joking, you would curate your own wedding and I wouldn't want you to be stressed out planning the entire thing. And I'm like, well, why not curate my own wedding? And then it just all kind of came together. I wrote a Facebook status. I remember the date, February 26, 2015. And it had like oh over gosh. 200 likes. All my friends just commenting, saying, this is incredible. Do it. Like, you have to do this. You would be a great wedding planner. And I could see you doing it in different ways within and outside of the wedding 
industry. So um, I found this opportunity to connect two industries that don't normally connect with each other, except through the lens of craft and mason jars and centerpieces. Yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, <Just> yes. <laughs> traditional dominant you know, Eurocentric wedding traditions that, you know, aren't very intentional. We just do them because they've been repeated for generations. And we figure, well, that's just how weddings are. Similar to how we think, well, that's how art exhibitions are. Art exhibitions belong in white cubes. Weddings involve white mm -hmm. dresses and straight couples. Mm -hmm. And um, there's just a lot of heteronormativity in both these industries and a lot of not so innovative ways of thinking. It just feels mm -hmm. like we're walking on treadmills even though in the arts we consider ourselves to be innovative. Yeah. So I bridged them together and I created Creative Unions Event Design, which is the first event planning company dedicated to integrating contemporary art weddings so that art can tell our love stories in unique ways i love it <laughs> yes go michelle this is amazing as someone that just uh well i guess by the time we air this i will have celebrated two years of being married but Congrats. my husband and i we like pretty much did everything for the wedding and it is exhausting and i had never really considered myself to be the like you know balls to the walls wedding type but you just get so swept up by everything that's out there and like I had no intention of having burlap and mason jars but I damn well had them because I didn't really know how to <laughs> how to not have them because it's like oh if you're like kind of a an earthy low-key bride you have a mason jar farm wedding which is exactly what I had <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's, you have to do you boo, you know, oh, yeah. and do I, what you love. I loved the wedding, but I think had I gone into it with a little bit more of an open mind thinking this is not just a wedding, this is, this is just a day and I want to make it beautiful and like myself. And it sounds like you really are able to give husbands, wives, partners the opportunity to really go into their big day like that. Ah, yeah. Yeah, and I know you're in the midst of planning a particular wedding celebration right now, and I really want to talk about that. But before we dive into creative unions and talking about some of the projects that you're currently working on, there's just so much that I want to get into with talking with you, Michelle. But I think maybe I'd like to first back up a little bit, maybe at some point either in college or um, potentially in grad school. And you talked about some of the shifts that started to happen just in your own perspective about how you viewed art and curating as more of a social practice and as something that was different, I suppose, than the sort of dominant, what we'd sort of been fed um, through our experience at art college. And so I'm just interested to know, like, when and how did that shift start to happen for you? Do you think that was a product of the curatorial program that you were in or of being in a city like Baltimore or just personal observations you're making from your own experience? How did that start to happen? Yes, it was a combination of all those factors you just mentioned. Being in a city mm -hmm. like Baltimore where there's a lot of racial tensions for many legitimate reasons. There's a lot of segregation. There's a lot of negative histories, unfortunate histories as a result of white supremacy, racism, discrimination, all of these systemic problems combined with being a Latina in a majority white university, private arts university, combined with feeling like 
for the first time, I did not see myself in the exhibitions being, a, you know, a Miami girl and coming to a city that is so black and white. I felt like I was always in between and I felt like the majority of the residents and the people who are from Baltimore are not involved in the process of developing the arts and culture landscape. So I decided to work completely in collaboration with the communities I developed relationships with in the Station North Arts District in the Highland Town area of Southwest Baltimore, which has majority Latino migrants from Central and South America. I always connected with people so easily. It made me feel at home. And when I did that, I realized that the majority of our arts institutions and nonprofits and arts organizations do not reflect these variety of, of identities and classes. And what better way to reflect these people than through art? And what better way to bring them together than through art? To tell their stories in relevant and accessible ways, even if that means collecting oral histories, collecting objects, having community-focused art done in collaboration with communities to talk about everything from cultural identity to race to police brutality to what it means to be a Black man going to barbershops and how barbershops are safe spaces. That was an exhibition I had the pleasure of doing with Gracie. It was called Black Men in Focus. Yeah, I was going to ask if you could um, tell us a little bit about some of those exhibitions or, you know, just events that you were a part of in Baltimore, maybe your thesis show and then what you just mentioned. Sure. So I worked with Gracie Xavier, who's also a graduate of MICA's community arts program, um, to do a show called Cuts, Black Men in Focus, which was a series of photographs and videos done in collaboration with Black men in Baltimore who hung out in five different barbershops around the neighborhood. So we we're examining the barbershop as a site, as a safe space for Black men to be themselves, to be safe, to, you know, escape from the daily struggles of what it means to be a Black man in America today. Another show I did was for my thesis for my MFA program in curatorial practice. It was called Devotions and Faith, and it was done in collaboration with Latino community leaders, residents, employees in the neighborhood that I met. They all helped me come up with this exhibition about how Latino spiritual traditions create a sense of belonging in the neighborhood. We put the exhibition, which featured objects borrowed from their homes, oral histories, and commissioned artworks in a restaurant called El Tesoro, which also means the treasure, which is perfect. I also did um, a video project in which I projected photographs and stories of Latino residents on the side of a building to talk about their positive contributions in a neighborhood that was quickly gentrifying. I worked on a show, another show, um, about faith in churches within the Station North Arts and Entertainment District to bridge the arts community and communities of faith through art. Um, and it just so, even though I'm not a person of faith, it just so happened to be that me connecting with, with all these amazing communities and people in Baltimore who I still keep in touch with ended up resulting in these exhibitions about them and their stories. That all made sense to me. You know, in my, my ideal world, art tells our stories 
so that it builds empathy. Same way mm-hmm. that the film industry, that popular media, that TV shows and movies on the big screen tell our stories. Sometimes they don't tell our stories accurately and that's not a good thing for our society when we're getting misinformed about how we perceive others and mm-hmm. how we're stereotyped as people. So that all translates directly into creative unions event design because although I'm going into the wedding world and going into a for-profit business, that does not mean that I let go of my activist values, of my core values. They're still mm-hmm. very much there in the sense that I still believe that art can tell the stories of these couples that don't necessarily see themselves in the wedding world but still want to celebrate their love. Similarly to how I did not see myself in the art world in Baltimore. So I want them to be reflected and I want them to feel happy. And I want them to understand that their love stories matter. Especially if they're of color, if they're same-sex couples, if they're trans, if they're queer, if they're femme, if they're black, Latino, Asian, etc. Our stories matter now more than ever under today's current political climate. Yes, absolutely. And Michelle, something that I've always really admired about you is that you are so mission-driven as opposed to just being career-driven. And that's always been at the heart of, I think, everything you've done and been involved in. And that's a really difficult thing to do because often that really important work, you know, even working with nonprofits or starting new initiatives and you're really, you know, working with, in a lot of cases, scarce resources or without a lot of support. And so I know that all of those challenges stacked together um, can make you know any sort of project really difficult but I just am so impressed with how clear you've always been on your own vision and you know you've never really wavered from that and part of this podcast too is is talking about you know this work that we are called towards the important work that you know we're trying to do as artists and and how we're making that happen you know artists tend to be really resourceful and and like you said just that sort of visionary mindset crosses over so many different industries so it's been really exciting to see you jump from industry to industry so to speak i'm also curious um you know while you're you're doing all this work how maybe were you navigating some of those challenges of just being fresh out of school and, um, you know, negotiating all of that with the need to make a living and pay your bills and um, just some of those, you know, challenges that we all face too. Were you able to find, you know, grants or funding to support some of these projects or like how are you making these things happen? Um, And then also just, you know, personally, how are you able to make your way through those first couple of years? Yeah, so those projects that I mentioned that I did in Baltimore in collaboration with communities were somewhat funded by grants, um, either provided by MICA or outside nonprofit organizations. They were also supported by Mm -hmm. individual donations. Even after I graduated, I still had trouble finding funding for these projects, these passion projects, and was working part-time. I was consulting on the side. I was just doing gigs and jobs here and there. I was working for a nonprofit, doing event planning for the Latino community. I was working part-time for a mobile museum. You know, I was just doing all these part-time jobs, but living paycheck to paycheck and feeling Mm -hmm. stressed and dissatisfied with life after doing so much and going above and beyond and working 
10 times harder than everyone else, I decided, well, I've been asking myself those questions for maybe two years out of school. Why is it still like this? Why am I still in this boat? Why is it Mm -hmm. so hard financially? Instead of actually figuring out a strategic plan on how to get out of that. Yeah. I think that's a trap that a lot of us get stuck in. And especially coming from art school, there's so much talk about how to make your work and so much less talk about how to live a very practical, fruitful life and get to a point where you're not in this constant struggle and torn between getting the groceries that you want and need or investing in your art practice. Do you find that that is like a hurdle that you've come through that you're most proud of? Or or do you feel like you're still fighting that right now? I am definitely still fighting that right now. And that's okay. I had to be okay. And I have to be patient. And I understand that businesses take a long time to thrive. Um, They say typically on average, businesses take five years to become profitable. Um, Mm -hmm. But right now, um, whatever profit comes in into the business is immediately directed back into the business as an investment. While I support myself through my full-time day job as an event coordinator for Ivy, the world's first social university here in the Miami chapter, which is totally relevant and aligns with my vision and my core values as I get to basically throw together social gatherings and educational events for like-minded entrepreneurs like myself. The way to get over these hurdles is to find something that is outside of your comfort zone and doesn't get you back into that rut through that nonprofit mm-hmm. industrial complex. I knew that I was having these challenges because of the nonprofit industrial complex. So I had to make a decision and say, I need to get out or I'll keep asking myself the same questions. And I had to get out and get out of my comfort zone and try something completely new. So that's when I decided I'm going to apply to a for-profit company, a startup company where I could grow and learn and get paid and have health insurance and, you know, sacrifice my weekend times or my date nights to work with my couple of clients at night or early in the morning at 6 30 a.m on my way to work and that's okay because I'm young and I'm working towards my goals slowly but surely and I admire other entrepreneurs online who have gone through similar processes I know Marie Forleo yes um, <laughs> I love amazing. her so much yeah, we've talked about her before <laughs> for sure yeah she We're um, all fans oh my god I'm such a fan and she just makes me so happy and she's my hero and I watch all her videos and she always tells us it took her seven years to get to where she is now and she was broke that whole time and there's this one interview she had with Seth Godin who's a marketing guru and you know amazing leader and entrepreneur who said and um, I love this video that she had where she interviewed Seth Godin about the momentum myth and he was talking about Kickstarter as an example that the word Kickstarter for those fundraising projects is actually the wrong term it should be called kick finisher Um, because for one of his Kickstarter projects he launched, he fulfilled his goal, his uh, fundraising goal, within 180 minutes because he's been working towards that project for the past 10 years, even if it was packaged differently before. And that 10 Mm -hmm. years required building networks, building trusting relationships, letting people know about your core values, and building a following so that they understand your vision and they support you 100% when you hit the finish line 
but the finish line is actually never really a finish line. You're you're always going on this run in this process. So that's how I see my career right now is that I'm never going to hit a finish line and I'm not actually really starting new. It's just I've always been working towards these goals and I will until I'm really old and I hate the arts and I have this identity <laughs> crisis and I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to be a psychologist. That's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And I think that is awesome. I think that, you know, career paths have so many twists and turns. And I think that a lot of yeah, times when someone linear, right? changes their career, a lot of times people see it as like, oh, your last career was a failure. And it's like, no, that was its own. You know, sometimes it was a failure. But for the most part, it's like that was its own successful little entity and experience. And this next step is also going to be that and they may be drastically different and that's totally fine because we all have so many different dimensions of interest and personality and goals and there's not necessarily a hierarchy of you know that one thing that you decide you want to do for the next 60 70 years of your life and I think that's totally valid. You're right, Amanda. Yeah, I think there's maybe that um, myth to around pursuing your passion as if it has to be this, you know, really singular thing that's that's easy to to describe or to, you know, translate in a few words. And like you're saying, Amanda, we're all much more multidimensional than that. So I think being willing to to commit to all of your interests and all of your passions and really staying true to yourself in that way by not, you know, neglecting any of those things, but trusting that all of those experiences are going to build on each other and inform one another and ultimately lead you down, um, you know, this road of your career or, um, you know, multiple careers that are sort of working parallel to to each other often and you know that's that's leading you to really exciting places that you wouldn't have been able to get to otherwise had you sort of followed this path that was maybe more recognizable or you know that someone had done before and I think we we're talking before this podcast Michelle you and I just about you starting creative unions and this exciting new venture but that it was really so perfect for you because it is this synthesis of all of your skills and experiences um, that you've had all coming together in this really unique way and it is something that hasn't been done before I'm really excited to see where it leads you but I think even the way that you introduced your work and yourself was really telling in that you know ever since you were little you know here's sort of how you were an artist and an entrepreneur and you were really seeding the idea for this way back then without even realizing it and I just think like you know especially as an artist and in any sort of creative career where you're really charting your own path developing that self-awareness too is so important like what is it that you know you care about what is there a need for and then making those connections um, as an artist uh, you know being able to to put things together that other people might not be able to see and then really making your way with that so and I do want to add to that those points both to what you said Amanda and Nicole that road that you described is very much a loop and a zigzag and it's not straightforward mm -hmm. and I feel like as a society we have been completely miseducated on what education is about we've been told that higher education is about dedicating yourself to this one thing that you love and then you do it for the rest of your life and it's kind of like this one pipeline and that's not true um higher education and education in general is about 
teaching you skills. And I think that's what art school did for us is um, have these creative problem solving skills. And I feel like as artists, we're mm -hmm. all in a sense curators, because when we're very multidimensional, you have to have that one thread that threads all of those dimensions together. And that's what curators do is they connect these disparate ideas through these mm -hmm. golden nuggets mm -hmm. and these golden threads and these common themes. And those common themes are your interests, your passions, your vision, your goals, and what you want to see more of in this world and what you want to see more of in yourself and your community. And I think those golden threads and those core values is what will inform your business, your multiple projects, your multiple careers, even your day jobs, even bartending or consulting or, you know, painting murals in a dentist's office. Like there's something in there that just connects all of it. Good for you in doing all those things and having a multitude of skills to make all of it happen because it makes you a better person and it makes your life kind of like Tetris. Tetris is, you know, these stackable pieces that are different shapes and different colors and you figure out a way to put it together. And it might not always be neat and you might lose the game sometimes, but you could just keep playing over and over again. Oh, yes, that is such a good metaphor. Yeah. Love it. So Michelle, you mentioned your day job at Ivy and how you've been you know, starting creative unions in addition to that. So how long have you been working at Ivy? And was that something that you jumped into pretty soon after moving back to Miami? Yeah, so um, I moved back to Miami early 2015. So mm -hmm. I took a break for about a year. Year. And then I got into this job after I really got out of my comfort zone and decided no more traditional nonprofit art jobs or, you know, just saying no to people sending me emails with job descriptions about Latino curators. I was like, mm -mm, done with this. Mm -hmm. So I decided, you know what, I love bringing people together. That's what I did as a curator. And the parts that I loved about making exhibitions was the opening night when I could bring the food and the drinks and just be full of joy. I, I would literally get a natural high when I would see my friends come to openings for, for a celebration. So I thought, well, why not transfer that into event planning and challenge myself and learn about event planning in other industries beyond the fine arts world. So mm -hmm. I applied to the job and I got it. And it's been a ride ever since. It's been so much fun. I love Ivy and um, I love what they stand for. And I get to meet incredible people along the way. And you know what? My story with Ivy, I hope inspires others to just try something new outside of their comfort zone. You just never know where it will take you. Yeah, and that is so important. As someone who has a lot of anxiety, I often talk myself out of doing things out of fear of the unknown, fear of an awkward interaction, <laughs> fear of failure. Um, and I've never once had a time where I just went for something and regretted it. Because even if it did fail, even if something embarrassing happened, the sheer act of overcoming my own anxiety made it worth it. But typically it's just like, wow, this is a great experience. I cannot believe I almost prevented myself from doing something that I'm really glad I did now. I'm just glad to be able to relate to that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Speaking of anxiety, that is such a real thing as well for us creatives in the arts. I don't know about you, Nicole, but um, anxiety is something oh, that sure. entrepreneurs just deal with all the time. Like there's days where I just, I feel like I can't get out of bed, but the moment I 
you know, do get out of bed and answer those few emails and feel somewhat productive, it's like, oh, okay, it wasn't that bad. And, you know, I learned something new. So yeah, I had anxiety getting in, you know, getting that job application through to Ivy. But here I am now, and I don't regret it. Like you said, Amanda, it's been an added challenge and a new way of looking at myself and how I see the world and new people. Why not? Yeah, I know every time I take those steps to overcome these small anxieties, because I feel like for me specifically, it's always about the dumbest shit. Yeah, (laughs) totally. (laughs) Um, And you can approach, you know, life with that, you know, mentality as well. Like, you know, I'll just ask for a new experience or give yourself permission to be gentle to yourself Mm -hmm. and and be mm-hmm. open to like new relationships, you know, like, oh, this relationship or this colleague, you know, interaction didn't go well. Let me just ask for another one and move on. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have any experiences specifically that you did learn something the hard way, but you came out on tap <laughs> or maybe later realized that it was okay? <laughs> <gasps> Yeah, when I experienced my last straw with the nonprofit art world and museum world, it was very frustrating, but I got out of it stronger. And because it was frustrating, I'm now doing something completely new. And I'm so grateful. So, so grateful that that challenge happened. (laughs) Yeah, like it sounds like it really was almost a wake up call to say, hey, you know what, you don't have to deal with this. You can you can do something else. It brings you more joy. And, uh, you know, new ways of looking at art. Um, Challenges make you innovate things. Mm -hmm. You know, inventors invented things because they saw a need for for that thing they invented. Yeah. So what is uh, Creative Unions working on nowadays? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Um, (laughs) So... I am working with the most amazing artist couple ever. Zachary Z. Handler and Nick Horan are my new best friends and they seriously have changed my life and I feel like I'm helping them change their life in this new chapter where, you know, they've made art in their own lives, they've made art together and they decided to get married and get married in an art setting because that's how they see their relationship it's a collaboration it's Mm. it's a friendship it's an arts partnership it's so beautiful and deep and emotional especially during today's political climate where they want to see a queer paradise where love wins yes (laughs) yeah and actually as we're talking here too it's pride weekend in san francisco which as you can imagine is crazy amazing celebration uh, well tomorrow actually is the parade oh gosh i so i expect to guys... see lots of pictures huh? oh well i'll be working at the museum so i won't even get to go but it's so oh, close so goodness. i might have to go on my lunch break a couple blocks over yeah you have to <laughs> i mean you're in san francisco I for know. pride I know. Michelle, so how did you guys find each other? How did they find you? And, you know, how did they get connected to Creative Unions? Okay, so Creative Unions didn't technically exist as an LLC when they approached me. It was simply an idea that was living on my Facebook status that um, was seen by one of our mutual friends. And then our mutual friend 
said, hey, you really need to contact Michelle because they wanted to do a Miami-themed art exhibition they get married in. Oh my gosh. So you hadn't even formally started the business at that point. Yeah, I didn't formally start it. So they emailed me a few weeks after I posted the status. And when I saw that email, I just literally could not believe what was happening in front of my eyes that, you know, I just came up with this business idea and my first clients just came to me saying, hey, we need you to help us make this vision happen yeah and it's amazing what happens when you just put those wheels in motion and how that just came back so immediately to let you know that you know you're on the right path and yes yeah you totally manifested your dream through a facebook status hey i'm telling you arts entrepreneurs facebook and social media is serious it's really helped my career um but yeah so Zachary and Nick are my new friends and we pretty much text and email all the time and I'm consulting them and helping them organize their wedding which is also seen as a form of performance art and installation and a form of resilience to imagine a queer paradise where love wins that queer paradise is an art exhibition and a series of queer performances in an art gallery fired by the Golden Girls. Oh my god. Set in <laughs> set in a Incredible. tropical 1980s Miami South Florida paradise. Holy shit. <laughs> So I'm helping them to realize that their wedding is not just a traditional ceremony, but a form of art. And I'm consulting on new ways to look at the ceremony as part of the art exhibition, new ways to look at programming as part of your wedding reception, new ways of looking at the actual exchange of rings as a performance piece of art, consulting on the direction of the exhibition, which is featuring artworks made by artists. Um, who submitted to our call for art um, and the call for artists seeking art about Miami, the 1980s, deco, neon vibe, queer vibe, to imagine this, this world where love wins, where queer people can openly express themselves and get away from the daily struggles of being queer. And the show is called Miami is Nice which is inspired by one of the Golden Girls episodes where they sing this Miami jingle about how Miami is a nice place where you could get a meal and go to the beach. And it kind of parallels this utopian queer paradise where queer people Mm -hmm. could um, just live in peace and express themselves freely. Um, And this exhibition comes in a very important time after our recent presidential election. And in Baltimore, after many queer spaces have been shut down or queer artists have been kicked out as a result of gentrification in the city so this is not just an art exhibition it's not just a private wedding it's it's a community project that's for the people of Baltimore. It's for the queer community of Baltimore. It's for the queer community of all intersections. It's also for allies. And it's for all of us to come together and, and see more love and joy in this world, despite all the problems we face as a society today. And that's such a great statement for art in general. There was a an artist talk I got to go to several months ago with a friend where the band OK Go were talking at the Hirshhorn. And it was right after they had won... Um, I can't remember the name of the award, but they had won like a really substantial award that had not previously been awarded to artists, um, much less 
musicians doing these really crazy elaborate music videos. But one of the things that they had talked about was how important it was to them to use their videos to just bring joy to people in a world where honestly so much of it is totally fucked. And art is an opportunity to say, yes, this world is horrible so often, but we are all living on it and on this planet and we might as well try to find the joy where we can. And I'm just so stoked that you're doing this because marriage is already a really incredible experience and to really honor the couples and their vision and their interests in such a unique way, I think is I think there is a void where you're coming in to fill it. Yes, yes. And many, many of the issues that I found in the wedding industry are being subverted through this wedding. And we're using art in the most intentional and detailed way. So all these decisions come from months and months and months of research and deep analysis of their stories and their lives to figure out, well, why do they love Golden Girls? You know, why (laughs) Miami? Why Tropical? Why Paradise? And it all goes back to, you know, their childhood them growing up and seeing themselves in the Golden Girls during an era where we couldn't talk about queer identity and AIDS on public television very often and looking at the Golden Girls as an example of of what true friendship really means and what platonic friendships mean in the queer community when we need each other now more than ever. So, you know, now that I'm I'm hearing myself talk about this with you and it's going to be heard by, (laughs) you know, many of our communities made me realize this sounds just like how I talked about the exhibitions I did in Baltimore that were about faith or about gentrification or black male identity. They all have very similar Mm -hmm. goals. And it just shows me that weddings can have that social justice lens. Love can be a form of resilience. Absolutely. Yeah. So will the event, um, or is this a series of events? Will it be at a public venue or is it open to the public? Or what are some of those um, more public components um, to it in addition to the art exhibition and involving, you know, more people um, through that? Yes. And thank you for the opportunity to plug this in, Nicole, because I think (laughs) the show will be taking place at Space Camp, which is a gallery in Baltimore, Maryland, right on North Avenue in the heart of the Station North Arts and Entertainment District. Mm. The show will be on view October 7th, 2017 until October 28th with a series of public programs that are free and open to the public. Um, The only program that is private is their wedding, but Mm, people can see the remnants of the wedding as part of the art exhibition to to show how fragile the queer experience could be that it did come crashing down in the 80s after the AIDS epidemic and that it is still quite fragile and you know there's sort of this ghostly history to it so we're, we're trying to show mm. that presence of the queer community through the absence of the wedding and the remnants in the gallery awesome oh, so well considered I mean just every facet of the experience um, and it's it's not difficult to see how your background as a as a curator and event planner really translates into the new work that you're doing with creative unions but I'm curious uh, just because with starting any new business or any new venture there's always you know some kind of a learning curve there uh, you know what have been some of the sort of unexpected you know aspects of 
starting up a new business for you or maybe like some of the new resources that you've been turning to, like new skills you've been developing since you've started working on this project and then, you know, really starting to turn creative unions into uh, an official business venture and just starting on this new path as a creative entrepreneur. How have you been, you know, navigating that beyond pulling from, you know, the wealth of skills and experience that you're already bringing to it? Well, um, you know, I feel like I'm always learning and the only way to learn is to just do it even if you feel like you're learning on the job some of the more challenging Mm -hmm. things I'm dealing with right now is work-life balance balancing a full-time job handling two client projects handling social media um, and learning where my limits are so what I did to help Mm -hmm. out was I hired a marketing consultant who's also um, one of my clients I'm working with. We're helping each other out. Oh, that's great. Um, So Nick Horan, who's my first client, really understands the vision for Creative Unions and is helping me to find my voice and um, edit my blog and consult on my my online platform and my voice. Another challenge I've dealt with is, you know, learning how to price my services because event planning is so unpredictable. You might, you know, say that you'll spend no more than 20 hours a week on something and you end up spending like 30 to 40 hours on it or, you know, you Mm -hmm. end up, um, you know, just miscalculating things. Um, Another challenge is learning how to personally accept myself and my flaws and and really see those flaws as opportunities for new ways of doing things. Um, I learned to be gentle with myself. One of the lessons I learned is that I can have it all but not at once. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. So I'm, you know, overnight, I'm not going to just do this full time and have, you know, a full fledged company with like 10 time full-time employees you know it's not gonna happen that way I just have to learn my limits and take it easy and and say okay I'm not gonna take on more than three clients this year I'm not going to have a Facebook account for my creative unions page and an Instagram at the same time right now I only have a creative unions Facebook page and I'm learning to do that one very well and then in 2018 I'll launch the Instagram when I have more time and more um, skills on the plate so I'm just taking it easy and being gentle with myself because sometimes my perfectionist tendencies come out and I hear my thoughts and I'm just so mean to myself in my head. And I'm like, why am I being so mean to myself? I mean, you know, my self-worth is not just related to my productivity levels in the mm-hmm. capitalistic sense. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just just be easy on yourself, put limits um, on what you can do and... Um, have fun while doing it and don't be afraid to learn on the job. Man, I feel like you just answered the only remaining questions I had, which were, do you have any advice that you would want to give? And I mean, this is another one, but is there any advice that has been given to you that has really helped you on your journey? Constantly seek inspiration from entrepreneurs online like Patrick McGinnis, who wrote the book, The 10% Entrepreneur, which helped me to figure out that I am a 10% entrepreneur. Uh, Marie Forleo, like we mentioned earlier, you know, all those people online 
give me inspiration and advice on a daily basis. We are so blessed in this time that there's so much content out there and you know we don't hang out but we're we're getting inspired by the same people and that was such a big reason why I feel like we wanted to start this podcast is to just freely share this information and I'm so just so appreciative of how candid you've been with your struggles and your experiences and I really I mean I know I've learned a lot and been inspired by this conversation and I am fully confident that our listeners will feel the same you are the best (laughs) thank you you and Nicole what you're doing is so necessary and I'm so inspired and Amanda I want to get to know you more at another time yeah we can Um, catch up on both being from south florida which i don't know how we haven't even mentioned that oh yeah yep i i grew up in west palm yes west palm florida girl palm trees yes (laughs) yep yep you totally get this exhibition you know what it's gonna look like oh yes i know exactly what it's gonna look like (laughs) Oh my gosh. It is going to be bright and fun. So bright and fun and neon and gradients everywhere. Yes. Um, And I'm just so inspired by Nicole's journey as well. Like, I think the things that I was talking about, like, you really experienced too. And I see you doing your thing, girl. Keep that golden (laughs) thread. Just keep sewing that thread and... You know, don't lose sight of that thread. It's it's gonna go in so many different directions. Yeah, and I I just love all the metaphors that you've made, Michelle, because I think that is one of the hardest things too. And I'll just say again how much I admire that you've always been so you know committed to your mission, and you've always kept that at the forefront of of everything you've done. And I think that's been really clear just with everything that you've been involved in. And I think when it comes to you know those external pressures of just what's your life going to look like. How are you going to make a living? Um, you know, there's a lot that can distract you from the core of, uh, you know, what it is you're really trying to do or, you know, maybe force you to put it on the back burner or cause you to shift, um, you know, paths or routes. And so I just think that it's so valuable to hear, you know, you've really followed that path and and seen where it's taken you and now how with Creative Unions, um, all of these things are really converging and coming together um, is so exciting to hear. So I... I knew it was going to be really great to have you on the show and um, talk with you just because uh, since we're friends and I've gotten to see, you know, over the years how you've navigated all of that, uh, it's just been really incredible. So I was really excited to get to, to talk to you tonight and just hear even more in your own words. Am I your third interview? So aside from each other, you're our fourth interview. Nice. Which is another comment to uh, it not being over when the projected start and end line, because we've been working on this since we kind of came up with the idea around the holiday season, but had been individually kind of thinking about doing a podcast or blog or something for months before that too. So there's always so much going on behind the scenes. You two were working on this long before you knew you were working on it. Oh, Absolutely. And I think that's a lot of art projects is you get an idea and it sits in your brain for a little while and then you kind of tease it out and, you know, it may not come to fruition for months or even years, but you're never not working on it, even when you're not actually working on it. Like it's still something. 
something so in your brain. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes those things that you're you love or that you're working on without knowing that you're working on them happen like even outside of your profession in the arts. Like I always felt like in the arts, like my love for love was not a thing to be talked about in the arts, you know, in that context. And I'm like, well, now I'm like, why not? You know, like I love romantic comedies. I love romances. Like, you know, now you just get to tie it all together. Yeah, it was like this neglected um, part of you that now has gotten to like come back to the forefront, which is so cool because you've, I think again, just like being able to recognize that, you know, like having that self-awareness is so important and now you're creating your own context for it. And, you know, you've made a really conscious decision to bring all these things together in your life and for other people. Yeah, yeah. Similar to how Amanda, you know, you know, your your design products that you sell online, like that, you know, I'm pretty sure contributed um, or connects to the way you designed your wedding and set that up, you know? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Or how, Nicole, you, you know, did your murals in the past and now you're doing this big one in San Fran. Yeah, totally. Did you finish it? I did, just last week, actually. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. I don't have pictures of it yet because we have to go back. Um, we have to like, get on top of a bus to take, <laughs> take a picture of it. Wow. Because it's obscured. Um, you so have I to get a picture of you taking the picture on the bus. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely, oh but I'm excited to share it. I love it. Oh, also, can I mention the today's date just in case? Yes. It's just like one thing I learned in doing oral history. Oh, yes. so smart. Today's date is Saturday, June 24th, 2017. Yes, and that's, that's good you. since we record them so far in advance before they are released. And so you've already told us a little bit about what's next and where Creative Unions is going. Um, can you just tell uh, us or for anyone listening where they can find you, where they can find your work um, and Creative Unions work online? Yes. So you could go to my website, which is www.creativeunions.com creativeunionsllc.com. You could contact me there. You could read my blog. You could sign up for my newsletter where you get my blog posts um, directly in your inbox. You could read about creatives in my community doing amazing things. You could read about ideas on how to integrate art into your wedding. You could also just learn about what inspires me in the arts and wedding world. And you could also find me on Facebook for Creative Unions, just like the page. People could also follow me on Instagram. Right now, it's just my personal Instagram, which is Michelle I. Gomez. And you could see pictures of my dog and my boyfriend and <laughs> Creative Unions. The most unions. important part. <laughs> yeah, and Ivy and like what I do at Ivy, which is fun. Um, and that's, that's all my platforms that I awesome. primarily use. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle, for this conversation. Yay. Beyond the studio. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our email list where we have all kinds of exclusive content that we only have available to our subscribers. And thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.
We also want to thank Michael York and David Wilson for their contributions to Beyond the Studio's intro and outro music and logo design. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> 